Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I am Brian McPhail Fawzi. Um, I am your missionary to the country of Cameroon in West Africa. I'm here with my lovely wife, Heather, this morning, who is sitting a few rows back, covered up because we are not used to air conditioning. And my daughter, Phoebe, is somewhere in the middle row back here. She will stand up. Okay, there we go. Well, thank you for inviting us. And um, we had a wonderful time last night giving you an update on our, our ministry and eating some wonderful food that you all prepared. We, we talked about it on the ride home, and thank you for that. But I also want to, uh, this morning, uh, I was encouraged uh, by the presentation this morning in Sunday school by Brother Dan Stokes. If you were not here, uh, I want to encourage you to spend some time visiting their table and talking with them after this. Um, he, he brought up something that was very close to my heart. He said, in their camp, and I'm going to mispronounce this, uh, why, why you me? Why you me? The, the camp that they run, it, it gives youth, gives college age, and even uh, some older people an opportunity to feel about what missions is about. And they work through the, the Bible teaching chronologically, God's big plan of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And I love that because it gives us a view of what God's big plan is, what God is doing throughout time. And that God invites us in to participate and to be a part of that plan. I see so many children wandering away, uh, wandering around today, lacking purpose, lacking direction. Why am I here? And God's big plan reveals that to us. What an exciting time, especially as I look at the culture in America today, right, where thousands of churches are closing every year, where church attendance is declining, where the population is growing faster than the number of people coming to Christ, where year over year, Christian universities are seeing less and less people that are taking studies to go into full-time gospel work, where the number of missionaries each year that are committing to full-time missionary service is in decline. I think Brother Stokes mentioned that you have about 3,000 missionaries at Ethnos 360 right now. Baptist Mid-Missions, the agency we serve with, is running about 500. A few years ago, it was about 1,000, but our missionaries are retiring. And we're seeing fewer and fewer in our candidate classes each year. Fewer and fewer people that are getting this purpose in life that God has called them to and going to reach the 2,500 different language groups that Dan was speaking about this morning. So I'm excited about this opportunity for our youth to go and learn about this big plan, learn about their purpose in life, and perhaps follow a, a call from God to go and to reach these people. So, brother, thank you for that this morning. And I would encourage you again to stop by their table, learn more about this program, because there is a great need for the church to recapture its vision, to recapture its mission, to recapture its purpose in life. If you would, please, would you open your, your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter. You know, Peter wrote this book. He wrote this book from Rome, which he called Babylon, <laughs> a name in the New Testament that signifies wickedness, a name that had come to signify everything opposed to God. And we know from our readings and from our history that Rome was a perverse city. Systematic persecution of Christians in Rome by Nero would arrive a few years after this letter was written. 
And it is the persecution that we believe claimed the lives of Peter and of Paul. And from Rome, Peter is writing to the churches in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia, countries that were to the east of Rome, countries where Christians were in the midst of trials. They were in the midst of suffering. They were in the midst of persecution, all for their faith in Jesus Christ. And his goal in writing was to encourage those in the midst of these trials, to encourage them to stay faithful, to encourage them to endure these trials and to keep their faith. And in the first chapter, he reminds them that even in the midst of their suffering, that they can still have joy. They can still rejoice. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, 6. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. <clears throat> but I ask you this question. How could they have joy? How could they rejoice in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution for their faith? How could they rejoice? Well, let's just back up a couple of verses before this. Pick up at chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. They could have this joy because this joy resulted from an, an enduring hope, from a living hope, from a certain hope, a hope that would remain in the middle of trials, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of persecution. They could have this joy because it was not based on a wishful human hope, but in the certain hope of their salvation in Jesus Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have this same hope, this certain hope that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be taken from us. If we remember that Paul told us in Romans chapter 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from our salvation. So even if we have trials, even if we have suffering, and even if we have persecution for a little while, at the end, it is certain that we will inherit eternal life with God. Our salvation is fixed. It is certain. And so our joy, our joy is based in a certain hope. It is based in an enduring hope. It is based on the promises of a God who is faithful. But in so writing, Peter also tells us that this certain hope, this certain salvation has created a separation. It has created a separation between us and the world. This world is no longer our home. In fact, several times Peter reminds us that we, are no, that we no longer belong to this world. Right? We are exiles. We are pilgrims, we are voyagers, we are strangers, we are sojourners, we are aliens on earth. We no longer belong to the races, to the people, or to the nations of this world, nor to its entanglements. 
Yet that's not to say that we are pilgrims that, that don't belong anywhere or who wander without purpose. Rather, Peter reminds us that we have a higher calling, that we have a higher purpose. And Peter is encouraging us to remain true to that calling and to that purpose. In fact, he reminds us that we have been transferred. We have been transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. That we have been made part of a peculiar group. And that God has given this peculiar group a great mission. Turn to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And this will be our key verse for today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> Peter writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the first thing that Peter does here is he reminds us that we have been transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the last part of this verse. Of him, and that is God, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This image, it's often used in the Bible to contrast the righteousness of God with the wickedness of the world, or to contrast the truth to the lie or to contrast the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Satan. I'll give you just a few examples. You don't need to turn there. But for example, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Or Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Or a final example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we have been taken. We have been taken from darkness to light. We have been taken from the kingdom of Satan and placed in the kingdom of heaven. We have been liberated from the captivity to our sin to have the righteousness of God. We have been delivered from eternal separation and restored in relationship with God. As concerns the world, we are in truth pilgrims, we are voyagers, and we are strangers on earth. We are freed from its entanglements, freed from its allegiances, its desires, and its passions. But as in relation to God, as it concerns God, we now belong to his kingdom of light with a new allegiance, with new desires, with new passion, and with new purposes. Citizens of his kingdom of light that he has formed into a peculiar group, an unusual group, an extraordinary group. When we lived in France, in Bordeaux, France, just a couple hundred yards from our home was a part of an old Catholic pilgrim trail, the pilgrim trail of St. James. So having walked part of that trail and, and enjoyed that, when I think of a pilgrim now, Right? I often have an image of someone who makes a, a solitary voyage. 
Right? Someone who walks maybe with a stick in their hand and a, and a bag on their back with all their earthly possessions, and they're searching for wisdom or they're searching for spiritual illumination. I don't often think of pilgrims anymore as a group. And if I think of another term the Bible calls us, citizens of heaven, sometimes I think about our American society in which we are, we are a group of citizens, but in truth, we act individually. Each one kind of does his own thing. Each one goes his own way. But in verse 9 of Peter chapter 2, he's not speaking about individuals, or he's not speaking of a group of people that act individually. Rather, the you here, but you are, the you is plural. We are strangers, we are exiles, we are pilgrims, but we are not solitary acting individuals. We are not lone wolves out wandering the fields. Rather, he speaks of a peculiar group, a special group, a unified group. And note the various descriptions he uses to talk about this group. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Each of these descriptions reveals a different aspect of this group, and each has a signification. A chosen race. It says a chosen generation or a chosen people probably in your Bible. But a chosen race is probably closer to the Greek and the Greek idea. And the word race in Greek carries the sense of descendants of the same genetic stock. Right here in Holland, Michigan, I suspect that a lot of us claim a Dutch heritage. Right? I'm Dutch German. I know there's some other heritages out there as well. My daughter Phoebe is, is Ethiopian. And there's others, Right? Yet Peter is writing to churches that are made up of both Jews and of Gentiles. So this race identity that Peter is talking about is something other than of an earthly race. Rather, in Christ, we have now been made part of a new race, the same race. We are now of the same genetic stock. And so perhaps this thought of a new creation comes to mind. Or perhaps this idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit and we are a chosen race, a chosen people. Before all time, before the creation of the world, God chose us. He chose us to be saved. He chose us to be a member of this chosen people. God chose us according to his will, for his own pleasure, and to accomplish his goals and purposes. So each of us here, each of us here that belongs to Christ, has been intentionally chosen by God. Each of us has a purpose. Each of us has a role to play in his plan as a part of this special group. So if you belong to Christ, you're not here by accident. And I will go as far to say is that if you are a member of this church, you are not here by accident. And Peter says we are a royal priesthood. We are all priests of the kingdom of heaven. When what is the role of a priest? Well, during the time of the Old Testament, the role of a priest was that of a mediator to help bring mankind closer to God, to dispense God's truth, his justice, his favor, his discipline, and his grace. And this role does not change for us in the New Testament. In fact, in using this term, Peter has cited Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. The very role 
that the nation of Israel played in God's plan is the same role that we play today. They were all priests to attract the world to God and to help the world to be reconciled to God. And we are all priests to do the same thing, to help the world to be reconciled to God. And Peter says further that we are a holy nation. And these are also the words used in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. A holy nation. A nation that has an identity as a special people. A nation set apart. A nation separate. A nation different than any other nation in the world in its life, in its pursuit, and in its purpose. A holy nation also signifies a nation in which the people are holy, where the people are righteous. And we know that when we were saved, that we were declared righteous, that we were declared holy. Yet this nation is also to strive to be truly holy, to grow and to demonstrate the character and the nature of God in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and in our actions. We are to reflect God's image, the image in which we were originally created. And we're to do this in order to please God. And we're to do this in order to demonstrate God to the world. Because the world comes to know and they come to understand our God through our attitudes and through our actions. So Peter says that we are a chosen race. That we are a royal priesthood. That we are a holy nation. And then he finishes up by saying that we are his own special people. We are a people for his own possession, his precious possession, a people that belong to God, that belong to God for his pleasure and his purposes. And in French, this reads, un peuple acquis, an acquired people. Yes, he has chosen us before all time, but we are still a people acquired. We have been acquired by the blood by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, a people of great value for which he has paid a great price and for a great purpose. So all of these descriptions, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his acquired people, all of these describe what we call today the church. The church is something very special. It is peculiar. It is extraordinary. It is unlike any other organization or group. And God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, brought us into the kingdom of heaven, and God created this peculiar group. He created the church to give it a grand task, to give it a grand mission. And what's this grand mission? Well, I can tell you what it's not. We are not called from darkness into his marvelous light to just be a social club where we can spend a little bit of time together. We are not called from darkness into his marvelous light to seek a blessed life on earth, to pursue our safety and security or our comfort and convenience. We are not called from darkness into his marvelous light to build grand edifices on earth where we can fulfill some religious duty. And we are not called from darkness into his marvelous light to simply be a charity organization to aid the poor and the marginalized. No. 
a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his acquired people. These descriptions show us that the church is something very special that has a reason for its existence. So let's turn again to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, or rather so that, in order to, so that. This is the reason. This is the purpose. This is the objective for which God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, so that we may proclaim the praises, or another way that we can say this is proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us. So here it is. This is our purpose. This is our objective. This is the reason for which God has created us. This is the reason for which God has saved us and why he has formed us into this peculiar group. So that. But what does proclaim the praises or what does proclaim the excellencies mean? How should we understand this? Well, I want want us to see how God expressed this in the book of Isaiah. So would you turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, please? Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah writes, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have formed, I have made him. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Jump down a few verses now to verse 21. Verse 21, Isaiah 43. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praises. So to proclaim the praises of God, to proclaim the excellencies of God is to worship and it is to glorify God. It is our ultimate goal, and it is the reason for which he has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. It is the ultimate goal of God, his glory. All that he does, he does for his glory. And he has formed this special group, the church, to accomplish this goal. In fact, the church, his chosen people, is the sole human means in this age by which God accomplishes this goal. Let's turn again to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul writes, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I might take a little bit of liberty and I could read that this way. To the intent that now the manifold excellencies of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now just go a few verses further on and look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Ephesians 3, 21. To him... To him be glory in the Republican Party. To him be glory in the NRA. 
To him be glory in Gentex or Magna. Doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I hope that we can understand this, right? The great God of the universe who has created all, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, he has entrusted this great task, this great mission to his church, to his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his acquired people. Now, certainly God glorifies himself by other means, but among mankind, the church is the only means that he uses to glorify himself. This is our great commission purpose. This is our great commandment purpose. This is our priority purpose. This is our governing purpose. Kingdom proclamation prioritized lives as citizens of the kingdom and of his church. And Peter, he expressed this purpose in another way other than saying directly worship and glorify God. He said, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, you may proclaim the praises of God, announce the excellencies of God, declare the excellencies of God, declare his moral excellence, declare his righteousness, declare his marvelous works, declare the excellence of his being, declare his son, Jesus Christ. Do not rest tranquil, announce these things. Do not rest silent declare these things because when we announce these things we worship God and we glorify God and there's an internal mission within his church in announcing these in, in announcing these things in worshiping and glorifying God we're we're here together today exactly for that purpose to proclaim these things to worship and to glorify God so us the church, a group of strangers, of pilgrims, a people of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, an acquired people. We are here to worship and to glorify God together. A royal priesthood and a holy nation that aids one another to have, to keep, and to restore a right relationship with God so that we can individually and corporately proclaim his excellencies. A royal priesthood and a holy nation that helps one another to be transformed into the image of Christ so that we become more and more a true holy nation. That is to say, a people who resemble Christ more and more so that we can glorify God more and more. And in using this verb, proclaim, Peter also indicates that there is an external mission to the church. Our special group does not exist only for ourselves, to bless ourselves or to benefit ourselves. We have a mission as a royal priesthood and a holy nation to proclaim, to announce, to declare the praises and the excellencies of God to the world. Why? So that so that God will be praised and worshiped and glorified throughout the world, so that 
more people will hear of Jesus Christ and his excellencies because proclaiming the name of Jesus and to make known his works brings glory to God. So that the other chosen, the other elect chosen before all time will be saved because God uses his church. He uses his royal priesthood to proclaim the gospel to save the other elects. And so that those who are saved by our proclamation can themselves proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is to say, so that there will be more people in the world who worship and glorify God, so that they then will go to the world and proclaim these things. And in so doing, they bring glory to God so that they fulfill their purpose in kingdom proclamation. See, the Christians in the time of Peter, they lived a difficult life. They were in the middle, as I said, of trials, of sufferings, and of persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord, to remember their certain hope, and because of that, to guard their joy. And he encouraged them to remember their special call, who they were. They were chosen by God to be a royal priesthood and to be a holy nation. They were his special possession. They were his church. And he encouraged them in the midst of these trials to accomplish that mission, to proclaim the excellencies of God to the world, to worship and to glorify God, to bring light to a world that was still in darkness, to live up to this special call and to their special purpose. And in fact, we're here we are here today because they took that mission seriously. We proclaim the excellencies of God because those who came before us proclaimed the excellencies of God. We glorify God because they glorify God. We are here because they accomplished their mission, because they lived up to their call. And the words of Peter, which are the words of God, are also for us today. We have the need to be reminded of who we are. We are his chosen race. We are his royal priesthood. We are his holy nation. We are his acquired people. We are his church. We have a need to be reminded of our mission to proclaim the praises, the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into his marvelous light. A mission to worship and glorify God within the church and around the world. And as those to whom Peter wrote, if we belong to Christ, if we are faithful to our calling, friends, we're going to suffer. We are going to have persecution. We will be persecuted because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And while in the United States at this time, that's not common, we need to be certain that these things are going to arrive. If we are truly faithful to our mission, these things are going to arrive. And when they arrive, we're going to have a choice. We can accept them with joy that is based in our certain hope, and we can be faithful to our special call and to our special mission. Or we can let them defeat us, and we can lose our joy, and we can fail in our mission. 
But yet we face the same choice right now, even if we are not in the midst of suffering or trials or persecution. Because sometimes the lack of advancement of our church or maybe the lack of advancement in our own personal walk with Christ is discouraging to us. Or maybe just the pressure of the world to conform. In that sense, we're feeling a lot of that in the United States today. The pressure of the world to conform or maybe just the small daily challenges of life. They demoralize us or they depress us. Or here's one that hits close home to me. Perhaps just the simple, boring normality of life. The daily routine. The normality that tranquilizes us and lulls us into apathy and inaction. And in these cases, we also have a choice. We can accept these things with joy. We can rise up and we can continue in our mission. Or we can let them defeat us. We can lose our joy and we can fail in our calling. And that's our challenge. That's my challenge for us today. Will we rise up to our calling? Will we rise up to our higher calling and our higher purpose? Or as I mentioned before I began the message, like countless other churches and many other Christians in our society today, will we falter? Will we surrender to the discouragement? Will we surrender to worldly pressure? Or will we even surrender maybe to our own fears of what it means to truly follow Christ, to give up our comfort and convenience and our safety and security and risk persecution? Will we hide ourselves? Will we hide our light in a world of darkness? Or will we go to this world and proclaim the excellencies of God? That is the choice before us. And it's my hope today. It's my hope today that we don't forget our joy, that we don't forget to rejoice, for our joy is based in that certain hope, regardless of what is happening in the world around us. It is my hope today that we remind ourselves why we have been called from darkness into his marvelous light. It is my hope today that we deeply reflect on what it means that we are called his chosen race his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his acquired people. And it is my hope today that we take seriously our calling and our mission to proclaim his praises, to proclaim his excellencies to the world, to worship and to glorify him, our priority purpose, our governing purpose, our great commandment purpose, our great commission purpose. It's my hope for today that we choose to be his church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity again to be among friends, among those who have prayed for us, who have encouraged us, who have supported us, and who has continued to lift us up. Lord, the work, the work that you have called us to do in Cameroon, your work, your proclamation, is not easy. And we need the prayers and we need the support. And I'm thankful for Ventura Baptist Church. I pray today, Lord, that it is our heart's desire to live up to the calling that you've called us to, a higher purpose, a higher calling, to recognize that you invited each of us to participate in your great plan for the ages. And I pray that we look into our hearts and ask ourselves how we are doing individually and corporately today. Is there something that is discouraging us or defeating us 
from living out this higher calling? Have we slipped into a routine of life? Have we been lulled away from our priority? Or perhaps we sense this mission, this higher calling, but Lord, we fear. We're discouraged by our own fear of what it could mean to, to surrender to that call, to go to a different land, a different country, to give up safety and security and comfort and conveniences, to risk persecution. And in these discouragements, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember the joy that we have, not based on human wisdom, not based on human hope and thought, but based in the fact of who you are and your faithful promises, a certain joy, and that we will live up to our higher calling and our higher purpose beyond this world and beyond its entanglements. Help us to be your church. And I ask this all today in Jesus' name. Amen. Take time this week to reflect on who you are because of what Christ Jesus has done. Take time. Don't go home today and just forget and it's another Sunday and we get on with our week. Reflect that if you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this is God's calling for us, as our brother Brian shared, so that we can be a light to the rest of the world. And there's days we're not going to feel like it. There's days we feel like, well, I just, I don't feel like it today. Was Christ worthy? He was worthy. And he went to the cross to purchase a people for his own possession. And that people, we, as that people, we praise God and live as he is the light in the world shining through us. Praise him. Listen here to the benediction this morning. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.